Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to start from verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And this is God's word. We join me in prayer as we dive into the word this morning. Lord God, we um, just want to come before you. Um, we want to submit to your word. We want to submit to your truth. Lord God, and at times, Lord God, we wrestle with the submission because we know it is difficult and we know it is a hard thing to do. But Lord Father, I pray at this time, Lord God, that as we hear your word, may we be honest about where we are and what we need. So Father, Lord God, for everyone within this room, believer or non-believer, ones that are in faith or ones that are uncertain, the one thing, Lord God, I do believe, Lord God, is that your word, that your scripture convicts. So Lord God, may you convict Use me, Lord God. I pray at this time as we hear your word, Lord God, that it will be uh, nothing of me and nothing of my glory, but everything for your name. Lord, I desire to be an instrument within the Redeemer's hands, so may you use me accordingly to your strength. Thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. As we uh, slowly begin to land this plane on the uh, book of Ephesians, uh, we're now approaching Paul's exhortation to put on the whole armor of God. And it's really a reflection of the Apostle Paul's heart for the church of Ephesus. Just like any farewell letter, it hopes for the best. And Paul's hope in this letter, as he kind of comes to a close, is that for the beloved church, as he begins to close out, that there will be an encouragement that they will be strong in times of much persecution and suffering. But as you kind of look at this section of uh, Ephesians as we begin to close out, it's actually a little bit odd when you look at these verses, especially when you look at the overall themes of Ephesians. So just to briefly recap, the book of Ephesians is kind of split up into two sections, right? So in the book of Ephesians, uh, the first part, right, chapters 1 through 3, you talk about our union with 
Christ. So when you look at chapters 1 through 3, there's this high emphasis of being in Him, grace in Him, salvation in Him. And then as we kind of see this in Him status, starting in chapters 4 through 6, it kind of navigates. It becomes a little shift. And now we talk about this righteousness of Jesus and how that plays out within the context of community. There's a little pivot. There's a little transition from being in Him and now focusing on the relationships for the people that are with Him. That's why in the later half of the book of Ephesians, we see these union relationships. Uh, Throughout the book of Ephesians, you see this push, this urgency to have union between Jew and Gentile for us to be one church. And then later on chapters 4 through 6, we talk about union relationships. So you see the focus on the union relationship between husband and wife. You see the focus of a union relationship between parents and their children. And yes, you even see union relationships between a boss and an employee. So it's kind of interesting that in this final part of chapter 6, we talk about the one thing that can actually disrupt this overall theme of union. Here, the Apostle Paul, he now talks about a war. We call it spiritual warfare. And I think for Paul, this is actually him being very intentional because he loves his beloved church. He loves the book. He loves the church of Ephesus. And he's really just telling the people of God of this reminder that this union with Christ is not something to be taken lightly, but is something to be taken very seriously. That just like any soldier that enlists to a military branch, knowing that there may be a war to be fought, the reality of our union in Christ will also consist of a war specifically against sin and suffering. In other words, being at war has everything to do with our union in Jesus. So the Apostle Paul, he tells us to be ready. Put on the full armor of God. And this morning, I have the privilege of talking about one of those pieces of armor that Paul has mentioned. And this morning, we want to talk about the belt of truth. So this morning, I have three points for us this morning. It's the need for this belt Secondly, the power of this belt. And finally, the application, how to apply this belt of truth. First point is the need. Read verse 13 with me. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand See, as we begin in verse 13, Paul is telling us that there will be dark days of head and there will be days of evil. And this is the reality. I mean, as long as you're not living a life with rose-tinted glasses, you have probably experienced and witnessed evil everywhere. Let it be hearing it on the news or let it be reading it from a text message. See, verse 13 is a reminder to the church of Ephesus that all believers are called to put on the full armor of God in very dark days, specifically the days that we are living presently. And if you look at this text on a surface level, 
One might assume that the Apostle Paul, he's talking about this day of evil as Christian versus non-Christian, believer versus the unbeliever. But if you look at this passage, he's not really talking about that. Specifically, he's talking about something much deeper. Look at verse 11 and 12. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul is specifically saying that the struggle is not against flesh and blood. Paul is stating that the battle is against the spiritual forces of evil that empowers these authorities, meaning that this battle that we're referring to from Paul is specifically a spiritual battle. It's spiritual warfare. What do we mean by spiritual warfare? Uh, Christian author Paul Tripp, he says it this way. It's the great war for the rulership of our hearts. With sin living inside us, we are still torn between our love for the claustrophobic little kingdom of self and the glorious purposes of the kingdom of God. It is the constant battle for our hearts that will rage between God and a deceptive enemy. All of life is warfare, but has nothing to do with one's flags against another person's flags. It's about the raging war that is within your heart. It's the war between God's plans and what you secretly desire. James chapter 4 verse 1 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? See, the question becomes, why is this war so difficult? Why does it feel like if life is a war, you feel like you're constantly losing? I mean, if we're talking about this life as a war, why do we feel like we're losing the battle daily, even though we preach the power of Christ? See, the reality is, for you and I, every single person in this room, especially the one that is preaching this word right now, that we often, in our sinful estate, we take healthy desires and we turn them into unhealthy obsessions. And in verse 11, the Apostle Paul says is that it is due to our sin and part of the devil's schemes. He makes us think we need it more than God. That the devil himself, he will take something that was intended for good and he will manipulate it for evil. Uh, our, Pastor Don, he mentioned last week as he kind of introduced to us the full armor of God, he mentioned about this word devil. And in the Latin, the word is diablo. And essentially, diablo means liar. What do liars do? They are of deception. They rework the truth. They manipulate for their advantage, even if it comes at the cost of someone's disadvantage. And if we're honest, we all know what that looks like. For the college students here, do you not know what classes to skip because you know which instructors don't care as much? 
to the ones that are working a nine to five? Do you not know which manager to call out, to look for when you have to call out being a little sick? Do kids not know what to look for? They look for the weaker parent. For when they know when they want something, they go to the weaker one because they are easier to manipulate. Now, before you yell at your kid and you yell Diablo, the point is this. (laughs) The point is this, that if we are able to lie and to create falsehoods with no second guessing, most certainly in the devil's schemes, he will produce lies because he knows that you and I are susceptible to it, and he will use those desires to actually ruin you. We find this in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve in the garden. What do we see? The fall. How did the fall happen? And the fall happened because they were in the garden. They were tempted by a snake to eat what? The forbidden fruit. Take this fruit so you can see and be like God. But if you think about Genesis chapter 3, it was not the fruit itself that was evil. It was what the fruit represented for Adam. It was the inner desire to be like God. See, in the same way, the great liar, what he will do is he will take the beauty of what is good and he will manipulate it for your ruin. It can be a fruit, a relationship, a career, family, and what he will do is he will get that good, he will inflame your imagination, making you think it's worth more than it actually is, make you selfishly crave it because we are selfish people, and we'll do anything and everything to just grab it, even it means a life of destruction and slavery to actually grab it. It makes you trust in the world a little bit more and make you depend on God's sovereignty a little bit less. And for us this morning, the question is, what is that fruit for you right now? What is the fruit that is most often used to make you compromise truth for a lie? Romans chapter 1 verse 22 and 23 tells us, claiming to be wise they became fools, and we exchanged the glory of the immortal God for an image. And this is why we need the belt of truth. We are easily tempted to satisfy our greatest cravings, seek out our biggest desires more than the purpose and person of Christ. We need the full armor of God, the belt of truth, to be a foundation to protect us from the idols that our hearts naturally desires. And this is why we need the belt of truth, for it is our foundation. It becomes our power to stand against falsehood. If you read verse 14 with me, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, in the prior verses, we see this word standing firm, and it's mentioned three times. But now here in verse 14, it's expressed more as an imperative. That as the believer, he's making necessary preparations for this battle, 
And now as he's prepping, he's preparing to be in combat, in verse 14, he is now commanding the believer to stand firm, that if this life is a life of much war, then you and I are to stand firm. You are to respond by fighting. Now, the question is, what what do we mean by standing firm? See, in light of this battle imagery, Paul is pointing out to the stance of the soldier in combat. He's pointing out of the one who is ready to oppose the enemy. He's talking about the one that is ready for spiritual warfare at all times. See, in light of any fight against opposition, what's more important than the actual punch, what's more important than the actual attack is the fighting stance. That whenever you're in combat, Whenever you go in training, what they talk about, even before you talk about attacking anybody, is about a stance. If you ever did any type of mixed martial arts training, you know that before you look to attack, you talk about a proper stance. Why? Because when you are positioned properly, your attacks will hit harder and your defense will be quicker. In other words, the more firm your foundation the more likely you will stand. In light of this spiritual warfare, we are talking about a firmer foundation in Christ will always lead to you standing in the midst of warfare that is over your soul. And if you are in this room right now and you're falling into weakness, you feel like you're just constantly reaching for the fruit that the devil was waiting and waving to you, I just want to let y'all know that this passage tells us that there is a piece of armor that God offers, and it is the belt of truth. That your foundation in the faith is based upon truth that we find in Scripture, the belt of truth. What does that mean? It means that it is more than emotion. It is more than experience. It is based on truth, and we find it in the very word of God. We find it in the promises of the gospel. And it is a firm foundation that allows you to stand. See, if you look at this passage, when we think about armor, it's often alluded to the Roman soldier. And the Roman soldier, they often wore a belt. But it's not the typical belt that you would wear, you know, when you're wearing pants at your 9 to 5. The belt uh, that the Apostle Paul is referring to, it was a leather apron. And it kind of hung around the entire armor. And it went kind of down to the knees. So what it did is it did, it did two things in particular. First, what this belt did, it held every piece of armor together, right? It was the foundation, right? It brought everything together. And secondly, the belt was meant to protect the legs. So the belt of truth, in the same way, is to be your foundational piece to uphold you, but secondly, to protect you, to uphold and to protect. And this is what the belt of truth does for the believer the belt of truth, the very word of God, the promises of the gospel, and that in a battle over your soul, 
you have the gospel that will uphold you and you have a gospel that will protect you. And just as the belt is to be fitted around the waist, may the belt of truth be so tightly fitted that it will hold you together, that it will be your assurance in the midst of chaos, that when you feel like your life is falling apart and things are planning out the way that you thought at the age of wherever you may be. Know that in the truth of the gospel, it is a firm foundation. It becomes your spiritual boundary. It is your God-given guarding rail of your self-desires and your self-deception. Let it be the power to make you stand firm. See, the belt of truth is everything that you need in the great war of rulership of your hearts. But why is that the case? Because when we talk about the belt of truth, it's the truth that Jesus Christ, he experienced the ultimate war on the cross. That in this war, he experienced complete chaos and full isolation where he was abandoned by the Father. It was the truth that Jesus Christ, he was not held together by a belt, but on our behalf, he was held together by a few nails pierced in his skin. And he was still held together even though his body was broken. But what does Paul say? Right, the main theme of being in him, that you are in him. And if he is in you and he stood firm against all sin and suffering, well, may that in him status be the reality in terms of how we stand firm in the midst of our sin and suffering. And if I can say it this way, it will feel like a battle. Every moment, every hour, every single second, you will probably pray, if you're honest, Lord, I need you. How I need you. But be reminded that in this battle, it is not to be at lost, for we have our victory in Christ. The belt of truth, let it empower you. Know that it can empower you to know who your enemy exactly is. You can discern what is good and evil. And at the same time, let the belt of truth empower you to fight against the falsehoods that surround you and the lies that you are susceptible to. That you can live accordingly to the belt of truth. You can be held together and you will be protected. God is for us, then who can be against us? So how do we apply this thought of truth? This leads to our verse, our third point, and we find it in verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Now, when you look at verse 18, many commentators, they note that verse 18 actually connects directly back to verse 14 in regards to standing. In other words, Paul, he wants his readers to understand that prayer is a foundational function 
as you stand firm in spiritual warfare, that very clearly if one is to wear the belt of truth as a foundation, then functionally you are to live a life of prayer accordingly to the truth that you put on. That if your love for Jesus is growing, so it is with your prayer life. If your awareness your idols are being more revealed, then your dependency on Christ should be reflected within prayer. Now, what I love about these verses when the Apostle Paul says you need to apply this through prayer, I love the fact that the Apostle Paul, he gives us two big picture reasons on why we need to apply this truth in prayer. Well, what does he say in verse 18? He says to pray in the Spirit on all occasions with this mind, be alert. Why is this important? I think it tells us a very big truth. It tells us that the struggle with the power of darkness is never ending. I think what he's telling us is the reality that until Jesus comes down on earth again, our lives will always be of war. It's never ending. And I could tell you as a brother, as a friend, I'll tell y'all straight up that I notice for me personally, my life begins to unravel in sin and suffering is when I think I'm all good. I realize it the most when I stop thinking that there's a war going on with inside and I start looking at the wars on the outside on other people that is when I'm most susceptible to my failures and my falsehoods. Why? See, going back to the devil's schemes, this Diablo, his liar, right? What does a liar do? What do pathological liars do? They do two things, right? Number one, they typically look for the ones that they can take advantage of. But number two, on top of that, they know exactly when to look for them. It's part of what the Apostle Paul says about his schemes to create chaos and confusion in your life. So not only will he look for you and take advantage, but he will look for the right time to do so. If I can give a case study in Scripture, we look at 2 Samuel chapter 11. What do we see? We see King David, the king of Israel, the one that was meant to rule with authority and power in Yahweh's sovereignty. But what do we see in 2 Samuel chapter 11? We call him slipping. What do we see? That the king of Israel on the rooftop, he sees a beautiful woman named Bathsheba. He inquires about her. He finds out that she is married to one named Uriah, who was a friend and a soldier. But what does he do? He wants to pursue her. So there is this uh, deception. There is this falsehood that would lead him to a path of adultery with Bathsheba. He would now get her pregnant. Uh, Uriah would be murdered because of his fear. And now all of a sudden, we see King David's life unravel. And then if you want to know a little bit more about 2 Samuel, read Psalm 51. It's his heartfelt prayer of repentance of a broken man. But what's interesting about this season of falsehood is actually in the very first verse of 2 Samuel chapter 11. Why? 2 Samuel 11 tells us that it was in the spring of the year, which was the time when kings go out to war, 
But what does David do? He sends his soldiers out. That even though the king, the king of Israel, King David, he was meant, he was called in the moment because that was the season to do so. He was meant to fight in season, but he rested. He was called, but for whatever reason, he was content. In other words, in a moment, he forgot his kingship. In a moment, he forgot his call. That rather than battling, he rested. He relaxed a little too much on the rooftop. He was comfortable, vulnerable. And does the devil not know when to attack? Satan knew. He knows of our sinful tendencies. He knows when to execute on the weakest moments. And I promise you, if you are not guarded, if you don't have those spiritual uh, guardrails, which is the gospel, which is the promises we find of Scripture, it might lead to an ugly season of brokenness and lies. Be prayerful on all occasions and always be alert. Secondly, verse 18, what does it tell us? At the end of verse 18, It tells us to keep praying for all the Lord's people. What does that tell us? Well, we know about the book of Ephesians at this point. If you are here with just a few messages throughout the year, we know that Ephesians talks about the meaning of the church, and I think the Apostle Paul is very intentional, very clear in verse 18 to pray for the people. What does that specifically mean? That in light of this battle, in light of this spiritual warfare, beloved, you cannot do it alone. You need a band of brothers or sisters going to the retreat, right? We want to pray for one another, and we want to allow others to pray for you. You need a band of brothers and sisters to wear the belt of truth for the sake of accountability. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm all about missional engagement. I'm all about being a witness in the context of where you are, and we should be doing that. But what I'm trying to say is that in light of that, you too need that band of people walking with you. And the question is right now, so if you are convicted by Scripture of the spiritual battle, how it will play out is this prayer life where you are always dependency on him, but at the same time that plays out on how you are depending on the people that are also with him. I am reminded of, 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 of this prayer life, but within the context of community, and I see it right here within the room. That is my prayer. That is my hope right now that this local church as we are reminded of the mission, as we are reminded of this warfare, as that we will come together in oneness, for we are one in him for the sake of his kingdom. Charles Surgeon, a well-known influential pastor, says this about prayer and spiritual warfare. He says, prayer, it brings inner strength to God's warriors, and he sends them forth to spiritual battle with their muscles firm and their armor in place. The belt of truth is to be worn by you and I for, to remember it will hold you together. 
it will hold you down. Life is so crazy. If you don't know that by now, well, please get ready. It just gets crazier. It gets a little bit busier. Things begin to unravel. Things aren't as picture perfect as it is in the moment. And in that, and in that season, it may feel like a few months, it may even be a few years, even though I hope that may not be the case for you. Remember that there is a belt of truth that the Apostle Paul talks about, and it is your foundation. And in this firm foundation, he says that you can stand. If Christ went to an ultimate war to save us from the darkest enemy, then we who are in him are to be at war throughout the greatest amount of trial and suffering. So consider putting on the belt, for it is a sign and it is a means of grace. And this grace will protect you, it will uphold you, it will allow you to hope in an everlasting God. Will you join me in prayer?